I am so excited to share 20% off my favorite adaptogen blends with you. Research shows adaptogens can balance cortisol, combat fatigue, enhance focus, ease depression and anxiety, and support proper hormone function. The more I researched this, the more I realized the easiest and best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. I found Organifi, and now I love it. Organifi has an amazing little thing called Red Juice that is a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. Cordyceps boosts energy, immunity, and stamina. I drink it during every podcast recording now. And when I'm stressed out and not sleeping well, I take green juice mid-morning. And guys, I finish every day now with either gold or gold chocolate. So this is a mixture of reishi and calming adaptogens and turmeric. It's either, it's kind of like a hot chocolate or like a turmeric warm drink at the end of the night. You just mix it with warm water and it has helped me so much. It's way more effective than the sleepy tea I was drinking. So they're both the same drink, just different flavors, gold or gold chocolate. I love it. I've totally fallen in love with Organifi. All their superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic. They have high quality ingredients. They are free of fillers and they taste really good while also providing a clinical and effective dose of adaptogens. You can support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com forward slash wellfed. Our code wellfed will get you 20% off, which is a awesome discount. Organifi, so that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash wellfed. Go to that link. Use our code wellfed for 20% off. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com. And you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello and welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner in a National Strength and Conditioning Association certified personal trainer. I'm the author of Coconuts and Kettlebells. You can get it on Amazon and my website is Coconuts and Kettlebells. You'll find all of the show notes for each of these episodes. If you just go to my website, click podcast at the top. If you drink alcohol or like a glass of wine every now and then, this episode is for you. For about, I don't know, a decade, I ditched wine because it always gave me a headache and truthfully, it bothered my stomach, but a lot of things do. So it's kind of a bummer, but I just said, you know what? I can't really do it. I'm going to have to just ditch it for now. But this past year, I did some research because I wanted to test drinking wine again. Maybe it's just my age. <laughs> I'm approaching 40 and now I'm like, hmm, wine. Um, and I, I was really overwhelmed with what I learned about wine and alcohol and the additives. As many of you know, there's quite a bit of literature that wine has health benefits, mostly because it contains uh, polyphenols, specifically reversitrol, which sort of acts like an antioxidant in the body, but it become like it becomes pretty apparent that any benefits that you see in the literature could be negated given what's in most conventional wines and all of those additives. 
So naturally, I just wanted to dive in and explore this more. So in today's episode, we're going to really get into the science of alcohol and wine. We're also going to talk about wine sensitivities and hangovers and why wine doesn't have a contents label and additives you might be reacting to, because I got that question a lot, like, hey, why am I reacting and, and what what's actually in wine? And we'll be weighing the health benefits of wine versus the negative effects of alcohol as a toxin on the body. So yeah, I'm going to go there because like, what's the balance? I'm so excited to explore all of this with Todd White, who is an expert in all things natural wine and wine processing. In fact, he started his own natural wine company that sources from small family farms. It's called Dry Farm Wines. So he is a self-proclaimed biohacker who has always been interested in health and He's passionate about wine, and it really, that passion is what drove him to revolutionize the wine industry, and I am here for it. If after listening to this podcast, you really are interested in trying organic biodynamic wine that is free of any of these additives or sugars or coloring agents or mold or is low sulfite, you can head to dryfarmwines.com forward slash coconuts. You'll get a bottle for a penny, which is actually how I tried biodynamic wine for the first time. Uh, welcome, Todd. I am so excited to unpack all of this with you today. Awesome. It's great to be here. I'm calling you from Miami Beach, where it's a warm 80 degrees today. Wow. You know what? I'm in Virginia, just outside of D.C. It's supposed to be 97 tomorrow. What is oh, wow. that? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and plenty of... And- Two doses of humidity with that. Yes. Yeah, not fun. So we are definitely blowing up some pools and trying to trying to make it work for a spring day. Um, so I'm really excited to dive into wine and natural wine and all the things. So talk to me first about how you got involved with natural wines. Like, how did that get on your radar? Well, it was all kind of an accident, really. I had, I've been a biohacker. And for those who don't know what biohacking is, I defined it as how we employ our behavior um, to positively influence our neurological or biological outcome. So I've been a biohacker for a long time into lots of things like fitness. Dieting is the most common biohack. So diets are a biohack. Um, I'd started experimenting with low-carb diets back in the Atkins heyday, like in the 19, late 80s, early 1990s. And so I was pretty familiar with, you know, Bob Atkins was promoting a ketogenic diet long before it became keto. It was just kind of a low carb, but mm -hmm. he was the first one to sort of introduce people to the concept of testing your state of ketotic or ketone production through the, the urine sticks. So I've been biohacking for a long time. About seven years ago, I decided to experiment with what was coming up under the biohacking circuit, which was a therapeutic ketogenic diet, which is quite boring and nobody does it for a really long time uh, because it's it's it just it's it's a quite narrow way of eating. But I experimented with it for a couple of years and was doing regular, you know, daily or bi daily blood testing with measuring. Um, beta-hydroxyate. And, um, and so for, um, 
I don't know, for, for a period of, uh, after, after I've been doing this for a while, I found that my relationship with wine was not working anymore. I thought it was just alcohol, actually. Right. It's a pretty common side effect for people who get into extreme ketosis that their relationship with alcohol changes. So, yeah, I wasn't thinking of this as a business or anything. I was just trying to find a better way to drink wine. I had stopped drinking spirits by this point in my life. I probably haven't drank spirits in about 25 years. And, but I've been drinking wine my entire adult life and been a wine aficionado and love, love, love wine and drink wine daily, you know, with my evening meal. Mm -hmm. And so I started having, I started feel bad drinking wine. I mean, like physically bad. And um, so I thought it was the alcohol. So I started looking around for lower alcohol wines. And in that process, I stumbled like quite accidentally across the natural wine revolution, which was just getting underway in central France. And this is a, this term natural wine is very confusing to consumers because I say I'm in the natural wine business and they're like, aren't all wines natural? And I was, well, no, they're not. And we can talk more about that, but that's kind of how it happened. And then I started lab testing them and because I lived at the time I lived in Napa Valley and I had made wine before. And uh, so I knew something about the science of winemaking and analogy. So I, one of the things I was interested in as a part of my biohacking life and particularly my ketogenic life was going to a sugar-free diet. And so largely I live a sugar-free life and wine commonly contains sugar. And the only way to really know if there's sugar in the wine is to lab test it. So I started lab testing wines for sugar and a bunch of other things, including alcohol. And, um, so I started qu quantifying this lab testing with natural wines and the taste of wines that I liked and sort of came up with a algorithm, if you will, of the type of wine that I thought tastes good and was the healthiest for me. So that's kind of how it started. And then from there, I sort of introduced it to friends and they were like, oh, wow, this wine's really good. And I feel so much better than drinking conventional wines. Where do you get this? And I was like, well, you can't. You wouldn't know, you see, because there's no contents label on a wine bottle, mm -hmm. no nutritional information on a wine bottle. And we can talk about why. Uh, it's because the industry doesn't want it. And they've lobbied and spent millions of dollars in Washington, D.C. to keep um, contents and nutritional information off of wine bottles. Mm -hmm. So um, wine is the only ma major food product without a contents label on it. And we can talk more about that. But that's kind of how it got started. Yeah, well, let's talk more about it because I, I feel like that is a, like when you actually sit down and think about that, Todd, the fact that like we don't wine is a massive industry, right? There's growth, you know, where I live, we have them in every grocery store and Whole Foods, like half of their store is just dedicated to wines. And you look at the other side of the store and you see all the foods like you have to know every little thing. That a manufacturer puts in a food product, especially in this day and age of, you know, people are have allergies and are more sensitive to X, Y, and Z thing. And so we are, as a society, becoming much more aware of like what's in our food. But yet when it's like this, you know, almost everybody has at some point drank wine, yet we have no clue what's in it. So how is it that they've been able to get away with this for so long? And do we actually see, do you foresee it changing anytime soon? 
No. <laughs> In a short answer. Hmm. So here's the issue. Let's just talk about kind of how this started and why this exists. It might not surprise you that this is going to all come back to money and greed. And so what's happened in the wine supply, sort of just to dial it back about how this problem occurred, the same thing that happened in the wine supply happened in our food supply. So now there's about 10 or 11 food companies that control most of all the food that goes through the American system. Hmm. There's been massive corporate consolidation across these industries fueled by Wall Street money. So this is how it works. 52% of all the wines in the United States are made by just three giant companies. The top 30 companies in the United States make over 70% of U.S. wines. Now, they don't want you to know this. So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels. Those labels, they have animals on them that make you want to buy it, or they have a farmhouse on it to suggest that, <laughs> yeah. to suggest that, it's, that it's being made in this little farm. And, but when you go in the grocery store and you see these shelves and shelves and shelves of wine, right, most of that wine is made by a handful of companies, not in little farmhouses, but in massive wine factories in Central California. That's how it's made. So this – and by the way, the wine size, the purchasing, everything I'm about to tell you is not my opinion. You can go to Google and search any of it, and you can search the size of the wine industry. You can search the largest players. You can see everything I'm going to tell you. Is not my opinion. It's not marketing spin. It's just the way it is. And you can validate everything. So here's what happened in that process of corporate consolidation. These massive wine companies. They're really massive marketing conglomerates. So their goal was not to make wine better or healthier. It's to make it cheaper and faster. And so in that pursuit we have a lot of chemicals in farming and then chemicals in winemaking. So everybody knows what chemicals in farming are. That's pretty simple. But what about the winemaking chemicals? What are you talking about winemaking chemicals? Well, there's 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. Now, in fairness, some of these 76 additives are natural and some of them are very toxic. The most toxic is called dimethyl dicarbonate. Dimethyl dicarbonate is used to treat the most common bacterial defect in wine. See, when you make wine, your risk as the winemaker in spoilage comes primarily from bacterias. So the most common of these bacterias is called Brettanomyces. Now, the problem with Brettanomyces is that it causes the wine to have an off-putting aroma and an off-putting taste. And so, in order to correct Brettanomyces, use this chemical called dimethyl dicarbonate. It's made in California. And if you go to Wikipedia page and type in, or if you search dimethyl dicarbonate, you go to its Wikipedia page, you're going to see on the right-hand table, it's going to say hazard colon toxic. Mm. This is just a fact. <laughs> I didn't make that up. So this, among other chemicals that are used in winemaking. Now, 
here's my whole thing with it. If you want to drink dimethyl carbonate, dimethyl dicarbonate, if you, if you want to drink that, then I think you should know you're drinking it. Or if you want to drink glyphosate, I think you should know that you're drinking it. Uh, glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup that's the most commonly applied herbicide in U.S. vineyards. So if you, if, I, I, but the problem is you don't know what's in your wine because they're not required by law to disclose it to you. Now, as you mentioned earlier, you know, if you're going to buy a packaged food, I don't eat much packaged food, but if you're going to buy a packaged food like wine, wine is a packaged food, then you are you going to drink a packaged food, something in a can or bottle. You would most of us would look at the ingredients label and or nutritional information. Me, particularly, I'm looking for sugar um, to see what I'm about to put in my body. Mm-hmm. But with wine, you don't have that option. Because as I mentioned earlier, the wine industry has lobbied politicians in Washington uh, to keep contents and nutritional information off of wine bottles because they don't want you to see it. Right. And they've been successful at doing that. I've got a brand new offer and free electrolytes for everyone, even if you've made a purchase before. So listen up. If you're active and follow a whole foods diet or you're stressed and struggling with adrenal dysfunction, you need to be thinking about electrolyte replacement. You lose electrolytes when you sweat and when you go to the bathroom and being active, especially when it's hot, can drain your electrolytes. I'm not just talking about working out. I'm talking about pool days and gardening and running around cheering your kids on at games. These electrolytes have to be replaced through diet and supplementation. And if you're deficient in electrolytes. It shows up as dizziness, muscle cramps, headaches, fatigue, sleep disturbances, and those stars when you stand up, especially on workout days, which was my experience. Element makes grab-and-go electrolyte replacement supplementation. There's absolutely no sugar, gluten fillers, or artificial ingredients, and it's paleo-friendly. It's travel-friendly, too, and great for kids. My kids love it. I've been using Element regularly on workout days, days where I'm working out or working outside in the yard and it's made such a difference for me. Everyone gets a free gift with purchase now. Element comes in boxes of 30. There is free shipping on all orders and now all orders will get a free eight pack which has all the flavors of Element. To get it, go to drinklmnt.com forward slash wellfed. Use the code wellfed to get your free sample eight pack with your order. Again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash wellfed and use the code wellfed. What like what other things would be on that label? Like is wine, do they use like coloring agents and do they really, they add just like add straight sugar and other things to the wine? Well, not exactly. Yes on the coloring agents. No on the sugar, except the coloring agents are very high in sugar. So the, huh. the, the primary coloring agent is 68% sugar. Uh, the primary color agent that is used to make red wines darker Mm-hmm. Americans have a perception that the darker a red wine is, the higher quality it is. Now, there's no truth to that. In fact, I can make an argument just the opposite is true. But but particularly because the color has nothing to do with quality. And how most of uh, commercial wines get super dark comes from this coloring agent. 
Now, in fairness, the coloring agent happens to be a natural product. There's nothing toxic about it. The problem is it's made from concentrated grapes and it's 68% sugar. But there are, are, are other there are also animal products commonly used in winemaking. So if you are vegan and you really, really care about that, then there can be two animal products that are used in winemaking as well fairly commonly. And you don't have any idea if those are in your wine or not. They're fairly benign. One is an egg white and the other is fish bladders, if you can believe that. And they're used for fining the wine and fining is a way of removing small particles from the wine to make it super, super clear. So lapidity, which is the clarity of wine, uh, is also something that people believe is important. They think if wine has sort of particles in it or a little, uh, if it's cloudy at all, they think there's something wrong with it. That's not true, but these products are used to remove these fine particles. Hmm. And so in the egg white case, you put it in the barrel, it falls to the bottom of the barrel, and then the protein from the egg white causes these particles to collect and then and pulls them, the, the, the weight of the protein pulls them out of the wine. There's, wow. a, there's a process there. But if you're vegan, then you're not so much into that. So, but yes, there are, there are coloring agents, there are... Uh, thickeners, there are stabilizers, there are uh, all kinds of um, ammonia phosphate is an approved, uh, copper sulfate is an approved, um, and you can you can go to the internet and search these things, you're like, ooh, I don't know if I want to drink that. So <laughs> there's a Wikipedia page on all of these chemicals, not not a collective page, but if you go chemical by chemical, you can you can uh, can see it. So, you know, so the, the, the wine industry doesn't – it's what I call the dirty, dark secret of the wine industry. And somehow, even in places like Napa Valley where there are thousands and thousands of wine professionals who live there, tens of thousands, and I lived there for 20 years, I never heard anybody talk about an additive, ever, not once. Mm-hmm. So and, – and even when we – our company – is headquartered in Napa. And even when we would have local tasting room employees like come and apply for customer service jobs with us or whatever, we talk to them about, they don't know anything about it either. I mean, it's just like no one talks about it. Right. It's just like such a commonly another really kind of off putting, you know, chemical product that's used in commercial winemaking is, is, or called defoaming agents. And so when you move wine from one tank to the other, you pump it. It gets pumped. And you pump wine over to another tank so that you can remove sediment from the bottom of it, right? It's how you start to kind of clean the wine, if you will. And so when you pump it, it foams, you know, just like if you were pumping. I mean, it's like the, the hose that you use to pump it, it's like four inches in diameter, mm-hmm. right? It's a huge hose. And it pump and it pumps a very, very large volume very fast and it foams because these tanks are huge, right? And, and they have to move the wine fast or it take all day to do it. Mm-hmm. So these pumps are massive. When, when, they pump, when they pump it over from one tank to the other, it foams. Now, if you're a natural winemaker, then 
you would just wait for the foam to subside and then you fill the rest of the tank. But in commercial winemaking, they have a defoaming agent that they spray on the wine that causes the foam to immediately dissipate. So mm. they can pop the rest of the wine over. So, <laughs> and you, you see all these if you, if you were to search FDA approved wine additives, mm-hmm. uh, you can see the 76 list. Okay. Now you asked me about sugar. Let's talk about how sugar gets into wine. Now, arguably, it may get into wine as a coloring agent because it's so high in sugar. That being said, sugar is never added to wine. And if you see, like on social media, I mean, we originated the healthier, better for you wine category through natural wines. Um, We started that six years ago. Now there's like probably 20 kind of copycat lookalikes, you know, from celebrities to I'm sure you've seen them on social. Mm -hmm. If you see one of these companies advertising and they say no added sugar, which you've probably seen those. Yeah. Well, you can immediately discount that company as completely dishonest because wine never has sugar added to it. How sugar gets in wine is through the fermentation process. So let's talk about that just briefly, how you make wine. Wine is made when you press the juice from the berries. You have, you have ripe grapes. They're full of sugar. And the juice that comes from them is also full of sugar. So you press the juice from the berries. Juice runs into a tank. Now, if it's a natural wine, uh, and we'll get into this in just a moment, if it's a natural wine, the wine will spontaneously ferment because wild native yeast is already present on the grape when the skin was pressed. But if you're not, then you use you use a, uh, a lab-cultured yeast. Now, I'll come back to this in a moment, but... The, the science is the same whether you're using the native yeast, as natural winemakers do, or GMO cultured lab cultured yeast, as commercial wines do. Either way, the, 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 from that point forward, and we'll come back to the yeast mo- in just a moment, from that point forward, the science is the same. So what happens is the yeast activates, and meaning that it rises to a temperature where the yeast will activate itself. If it's too cold, it won't activate. So – it, act, it activates and inoculates. You've inoculated the grape juice, which is filled with sugar. It's very sweet. The yeast begin to eat the sugar when they, be, when they go active. You've seen this when you bake bread, mm-hmm. right? So the yeast start to eat the sugar. The byproduct of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. Now, here's where the sugar trick comes in. On the side of the tank... During the fermentation, which the wine is bubbling, it's you can see the yeast is working, and you know, and this is and it has this foam on top of it where the yeast is eating, and the carbon dioxide is coming off the surface. And there's a little device on the side of the tank inside the wine, and this very simple small device will tell you at any time exactly how much sugar is left in the juice. So, if a wine is allowed to fully ferment. And what that means is that the yeast ate all of the available sugar. Mm -hmm. When that happens, the yeast will die because they don't have any more food. And so it's fully fermented. The yeast will die and the wine will be sugar free. Now, on the flip side, the winemaker can break the fermentation at the time when he or she 
wants to leave the desired amount of sugar in the wine. Now, sugar adds mouthfeel. Sugar adds, you know, finish. Sugar adds, um, it, it, it adds a rounder taste. And Americans love sugar, right? So when the, when the desired amount of sugar is left in the wine, the winemaker can see this on this device, then the winemaker will pour sulfur dioxide into the wine, another approved additive. They'll pour sulfur dioxide into the wine and kill the yeast prematurely before it completes its fermentation. That's a winemaking style. That's a choice the winemaker makes. But that's how sugar gets into wine. Mm -hmm. So let's come back just to the three tenets of natural wine versus conventional wine because the piece in the middle is the one that I want to touch on for a second. So one, natural wines are always organically or biodynamically grown. Biodynamic farming is the prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. Always organic or biodynamic. Let me stop there because this gets a little bit more confusing. Um, Even natural wine, the term is confusing because, as you know, in the food space, companies often use the term natural to describe something they want to suggest is organic or better for you. Right. But it's really a misleading marketing term. That's not true for wine. Do you know what I'm talking about on natural stuff for foods? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but to add to the confusion a little bit further is that when you go into the store and you see an organic wine, that doesn't mean it's natural. It just means it's organically farmed. It doesn't mean it's additive free. Okay. So to further confuse the thing there, you see, there's no certification for natural wine. Nowhere in the world. France this year is going to be the first country to certify natural wines. There's no plan in the U.S. to do that. Dry Farm Wines, my company, has a certification, but that's unique to us. And our certification goes beyond just being natural. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But so this this uh, to make this all more confusing <laughs> – um, <laughs> I know it's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> that's the reason. That's the reason people just trust us and drink yeah. our wine. And they yeah. feel great. Yeah. Um, but so natural wine is always organically farmed uh, or biodynamic. Number two, natural wines are always fermented with wild indigenous native yeast. That's a mouthful. What does that mean? Well. On the skin of every grape at the time of harvest, anywhere in the world, every single grape has wild native yeast that's indigenous to the vineyard where the grape was grown. It's on the skin of the grape. It's a white, waxy film. You can scratch it off with your fingernail. It's actually yeast. That yeast for thousands of years was the yeast that was used to ferment wine, and it's the only yeast that a natural winemaker will use. Well, why, why don't commercial winers use this same yeast? Because it's natural. It seems pretty like a good idea. Well, the problem with wild native yeast is that it's unstable and it's fragile. It's wild, right? <laughs> it's wild. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and it, won't, it won't withstand a very high alcohol environment. Um, and, and it just, it requires a lot of coddling and you can't make wine in large quantities using it. It's too unstable. 
So what you do, if you're a conventional winemaker, a commercial winemaker, what you, which is everybody that's not natural, what you do is you immediately, as soon as you press the juice from the berries, as I mentioned earlier, and it goes into the tank, you then pour sulfur dioxide. Remember, we talked about that earlier to kill the ferment, to kill the yeast prematurely in the fermentation. You pour sulfur dioxide into the wine and you kill the native yeast because you don't want the lab yeast competing with the native yeast. And they're too unstable anyway, so you just kill them. You pour sulfur dioxide in the wine and you kill those. Then you inoculate it with this GMO lab culture yeast. And then from there, the science is the same. As I said, it just yeast eats sugar, either fully ferments or it doesn't. And so I also want to address something here about this fully fermented and, or leaving behind what's known as RS or residual sugar in the wine. Like I don't want to drink sugar. That's the reason we test for sugar. I only want to drink sugar-free wines. But that being said, because I get some criticism on this, and in fairness, not all natural wines are sugar-free. Not all conventional wines have sugar in them. Mm -hmm. Some of those are also fully fermented. The problem is you just don't know which ones are and which ones aren't, right? You don't know which ones contain sugar and which ones don't. I can tell you we lab tested the top 20 best-selling commercial wines in the United States last year. That list is also readily available to you. We did lab testing on it. And only two of the 20 met our standard for sugar-free. Mm-hmm. which is less than one gram per liter. The government also con- considers that to be sugar-free as a legal standard. Only two of the 20 met our standard. So it's, the again, with you don't have a choice whether or not to look at a contents and nutritional information. With us, you know what you're getting. Well, you're talking about that fermentation process and sometimes it's stopped early. What's the difference when we're talking about natural wines in, is there a difference between alcohol content? Because when I'm looking at a dry farm wines, certified wine, it seems like the alcohol content is lower. Is that true? It is true. And this is an important distinction. So what I'm about to say next surprises people most about me because they think I'm here to sell wine which we, we love selling wine, of course, for people who love to drink great wine. But this surprises them to hear me say the following. Alcohol is a dangerous neurotoxin, right. and it ruins millions of lives per year. And some people shouldn't drink at all. And if you don't drink now, I'm not recommending that you begin. Hmm. Uh, but, but for those people who do choose to drink and do choose to drink wine – My goal is to help them be more thoughtful about it and to educate them about how I would think about what I call conscious consumption. So I also meditate every morning. And so my goal is to live a life of higher consciousness. And removing alcohol from my life is helpful in that. Now, I don't want to give it up altogether because I like it. I, I don't want to give that up in my life. Maybe this also surprises people. Maybe my life might be better off. I just gave gave up drinking altogether. I don't know because that's not going to happen, right? Mm Because I just enjoy it. What I try to do is be more conscious about the consumption. 
And so we only sell and drink lower alcohol wines exclusively. We're the only company on the planet who focuses on this. We need to think carefully about about how we drink and what we drink in my view. So, so I agreed. The, wine, the wines we sell are between 6% and 12.5%. Most of the wines that I drink are between 95 and 11% alcohol. And we actually we actually have a special wine membership that is only extra what we call extra low which is below 11 and a half. We don't sell anything over 12 and a half percent. Most American wines are around 15%. But here's the problem with knowing how much alcohol is in your wine. Now, in fairness, most people, including me, until recent years, never looked at the amount of alcohol in a wine bottle. But if you did, another collusion between the wine industry and the government, if you looked at a, if you looked at a wine label, and you saw the stated amount of alcohol stated is an important term because that's what it's legally referred to is the stated amount of alcohol. Because by law, the amount, the amount of alcohol stated on a wine bottle is not required to be accurate. And you're like, what? I'm like, well, if it says 14% on the label, it can be as high as 15 and a half percent and still be legal. Hmm. And the reason for that, quickly, is that when alcohol laws were written, most of them in the Prohibition era, in the very early 1940s, lab testing could vary from lab to lab. The measurement of alcohol could vary. Now, today, that's not true. It's an exact science. It'll be the same at every single lab it goes to. But the wine industry doesn't want to change because the wine industry wants to round down, if you will, mm. to have you believe maybe that you're drinking lower alcohol. So this is, yeah, I know I've thrown a lot at you, but that, you know, there's a collusion between the wine industry. Well, there are collusions between many industries, mm. right? It's more the rule than the exception of collusions between special interest industries and the government. Yeah. But it's alive and well in the wine business. Blue Blocks, which makes the best blue light blocking computer glasses, sleep plus glasses, and red and yellow light bulbs on the market, has just launched a line of anti-radiation earphones, laptop mat, and harmonizing stickers. Yes, these are high-quality EMF blocking products that block up to 99% of EMFs or electromagnetic magnetic fields. So electromagnetic fields are invisible areas of energy, also known as radiation, that are produced by electricity, specifically power lines, Wi-Fi, electronic devices, etc. Now here's the deal. Yes, there still needs to be more research done on the long-term effects of EMF exposure, especially over time. However, some people like myself find that they are very sensitive to EMFs in the home. For example, we started getting more and more Bluetooth items in our home, but as our home got smarter, I was getting more and more headaches and feeling more and more stimulated and have, was like having problems sleeping and I just couldn't pinpoint what was going on. So we stopped using Bluetooth light bulbs and appliances. I gave up my 
AirPods, which was very hard for me to do, but I saw a direct correlation with how long I was wearing my AirPods and headaches and brain fog, and we started turning off the Wi-Fi at night, which really helped. For me, it's it's helped tremendously, and now I block EMFs as much as possible with Blue Block's AirTubes, their laptop mat, which I have under my computer right now. And I have tried so many EMF blocking products before Blue Blocks, just like I tried a lot of Blue Blocks, like Blue Blocking glasses. And in terms of quality and effectiveness, Blue Blocks is where it's at. It is worth it to make an investment and make it once and to know that it's actually working. So I recommend everybody go get a laptop pad, especially. Air tubes are really important. The harmonizing stickers are important. It can really make a difference. Our link is blueblocks.com slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed for 15% off, which is actually a really, really good deal. Do one big order. Get yourself some blue blocking glasses and also get, you know, a laptop pad and some air tubes. And maybe some red light bulbs for your nightstand like we have. Again, that's blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed for 15% off. So I've personally, um, I've, I'm someone who has struggled for a long time with like my reaction to alcohol. And very early on, when I first got married, it was like, you know, 12, 13 years ago, we used to drink wine. And <laughs> you were talking about the label, like, you know, it's got animals or a farm on it. And it's so funny, because that's how I would choose a wine, right, was by, you know, the label. And then we eventually started trying to get organic wines. But even then, I reacted so poorly to it. And I think a lot of people in my community have very similar experiences. So like things like headaches or, you know, stomach issues. So is there such a thing as a wine sensitivity? And what is the root of that? Because you have your experience of you thought you were reacting to alcohol, which we know, I appreciate you saying that it's a it's clearly a neurotoxin, we have to be able to balance our understanding of alcohol as a neurotoxin versus, you know, some of these health benefits, but also the enjoyment of it. So like, is a is a wine sensitivity because of some of these additives or how it's made, or is it because of the alcohol? Well, you know, I get asked this question and the answer is we don't really know. Hmm. Um, but that's also true. And I'm going to a little bit of detail on that. That's also true of much of nutritional information, right? Because we don't really have control group studies that show us over a long period of time uh, what is good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for any kind of nutritional, really. The only way we could really do that is if we were to have a cohort of prisoners, which we could have absolute control over their behavior, right? Which is unethical and illegal. And so as it should be, right, in my view. Mm-hmm. So we, we have only a few studies uh, in, in nutrition that go back to the 1950s and 60s that today would not be allowed to to happen. The most famous one is George Cahill's study on fasting. Um, but, you know, we just don't have a lot of nutritional information. We have even less where wine is concerned. So to answer your question in the long and short, since you've drank our wines, you know that this is true. Mm-hmm. We don't know which of the additives or sugar, and let me talk about sugar and alcohol in just a second and what a nasty combination they are, but we don't really know 
what's making most people feel bad. We have some suspects, we, and particularly for red wine and women. Women oftentimes tell us, oh, I can't drink red wine, but, you know, I'll order some of your, your white or, you know, let me try your white if we're like at a health event. Um, and when events pre-COVID in 2019, we were the official wine at 141 global events. And I, and I would attend, you know, maybe 20 of those and where we would be pouring wine for thousands and thousands of people. And I very commonly have women come up and, you know, we say, would you like red, rosé, white, you know, a massive tasting. And, uh, and women oftentimes say, oh, I'll have the white. I, you know, I really love red, but I can't drink it. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel spotchy. It makes me, gives me hot flashes. Like, I don't, can't make, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you can drink our red wines. They're different. <laughs> they don't contain the, the, they don't contain those things that are making you feel bad. So try it and let me know in the morning. You know, they're always like, oh, I felt great. You know, no problem with all. Right. So we don't really know what it is that is, we do know that, that, Biogenetic amines and the two primary offenders are tyramine and histamine are generally higher in uh, in conventional wines than they are in natural wines. And that's because of the fermentation process Hmm. in order to make red wines darker. If you don't use a coloring agent, the other way that you get them darker is to have them macerate or soak on the skins longer. So when you make a red wine, you, you different than white wine. White wine is fermented from free run clear juice. Red wine, you press the juice over into a tank and then you empty the, the press. You have all the skin, seeds, and stems, and those get dumped into the tank with the juice. That's how red wine gets its color and also its additional polyphenols and its tannin structure. If you squeeze the juice from a red wine grape and the juice from a white wine grape, they're both clear. It's you add the, the skin and the seeds and the stems in, which also adds to the higher polyphenols or the healthy compounds found in wines or thought to be healthy compounds. Polyphenols and flavonoids and antiflavonoids are also found in chocolate and other, you know, other things that you consume that are thought to be uh, coffee, that are tea, that are thought to be uh, healthy for you. They're not exclusive to wines. The most famous one found in wine is called resveratrol. Mm-hmm. which has been shown to extend lifespan in mice in very high doses. Um, but so we don't know which we don't know of the additives of the sugar. We do know higher alcohol makes you feel worse for sure. The more alcohol you consume, the greater chance you have for hydration and then consequently hangover. So we know just lowering the alcohol is going to make you feel better uh, while still allowing you to get high. Right. And so, and I don't take any issue with getting high. I like getting high. It's fun. So we don't really know. But here's what we do know anecdotally. Here's what we do know. When you drink our wines, you will feel better. And we can't tell you exactly why. I mean, precisely with any kind of science. It's just well, we've removed all these additives. We've removed the sugar. And we've lowered the alcohol. And there's nothing in there but wild native yeast and grapes. That's it. That's all that's contained there. Hmm. And we know you feel better. And if you've drank our wines, you know it's true. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I find it interesting, the difference in histamines, too. My last question for you is about dry, 
this concept of dry farming and potentially the, the problems with irrigation, which are totally new to me. All I really know about the wine industry and how it's, you know, how wine is created is you see these vineyards with a bunch of grapes. So <laughs> what exactly is a dry farm and how does that compare to like conventional, how conventional wines are, are treated? Well, I have to tell you, it's a heady question for the last question as we're rounding up on time because we could spend an entire additional 40 minutes talking just about irrigation and the problems associated with it. But let me take like three minutes to give you some high points. We farm um, with our partners, we farm about 90,000 hectare. That's about 45,000 acres. Uh, around the world. We save, by not irrigating the planet, we save over a billion gallons of water a year. Wow. And dry farming is more expensive and it's more difficult. Therefore, it's virtually unpracticed in the United States anymore. I mean, like virtually, like less than 1%. Wow. Irrigation causes a grape to produce a higher yield. That's the size of the cluster with bigger berries that weigh more. Why is that important? Because fruit is sold by the ton. The bigger the yield, the bigger the berries filled up with a whole bunch of water weigh a lot more. And so it's more valuable. That's primarily why you irrigate. Therefore, and it's also cheaper and way easier than dry farming. Now, dry farming didn't come to the United States in grape farming. So irrigation didn't come to uh, the United States until the early 1970s. Prior to that, everything here was also dry farmed. Now it's virtually non-existent. Natural winemakers and many regions of Europe who've been growing grapes for over 3,000 years and making wine, it's illegal in much of Europe. Much of Europe, it's illegal to irrigate a grapevine. And so, but natural farmers never irrigate. It's not necessary to irrigate a grapevine. It's easier, but not necessary in order for it to survive and thrive. It will produce a lower yield. It will produce a smaller berry, but a more concentrated berry of flavor, right? Because it wouldn't surprise you. Common sense will tell you when you irrigate a grapevine, then the berries become more wet. They have more water in them, right? They're less concentrated, but they also weigh more. So they also taste different. And here's why. When when and, and this is the reason it's illegal to irrigate in Europe, not because they're trying to save the planet. Um, it's because they're trying to protect the Appalachians value, right? So let's just say that you, um, let's think of a, a, the most famous Appalachian in the world is Bordeaux. It's in France. It's where the most expensive, the most pedigreed wines in the world come from. And so every Appalachian, like Burgundy or Napa Valley, these are all Appalachians. And so the Appalachians have rules and those rules are in place to ensure that that Appalachian's brand quality is, is withheld in global wine markets, if that makes sense. 
So it's like when you buy a wine from this appellation with this name on it, it's going to it's going to have it's going to be the best in the world, right? It's a brand statement. Unirrigated grapevines produce better tasting fruit, hmm. and they for, for two reasons. One, and this is a this is a uh, uh, when a plant is stressed, this is the reason they plant grapevines close together. They want them to compete. So when a vine is stressed, it produces a higher quality, higher character fruit. When it's stressed from lack of water, the same thing happens. But another common sense thing is that an irrigated grapevine, and I'm going to wind this up here in a second, the irrigated grapevine has a root ball that's about four feet in diameter and about four feet deep because it gets all of its nutrient and its water from the surface, not from below the surface. It gets it from this little tube that hangs just above the trunk, makes for a lazy vine. And it doesn't have to search for nutrient because it also gets its nutrient through nitrogen, which comes through the same tube. That's called fertilizer, right? And so unirrigated grapevines can have root structures that can run 20 or 30 feet deep and across because the vine is constantly, every single second, the vine has these little hair-like capillaries that are roots, and they're constantly working to break apart tiny, tiny particles of soil and mineral in search for moisture and nutrient. That's how the that's how the 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 now the grapevine, its job is not to make wine. The grapevine, its job is to produce produce the very best fruit it can produce in order to attract the birds that will then eat its fruit because they have better fruit than their neighbors to eat the fruit and then propagate the seed by dropping the, by dropping the seed. So that the grapevine is trying to produce, you know, this evolutionarily amazing tasting fruit to attract the birds. (laughs) So dry farm is about to you. No irrigation. Sure. It's a, well, it's about taste for the most part, to you? That's why you prefer it? Well, I mean, we think it, yes. At the end of the day, it's better fruit. Yes, it's a taste thing for us. But the, the ancillary benefit is that, you know, we don't that we save a billion gallons of water a year. Yeah. And there's pretty much a worldwide drought going on. And, the uh, you know, the, the, the earth is under attack from, uh, you know, climate crisis. Right. And so... I, you know, so not farming with water is a better idea mm-hmm. in yeah. addition to the fact that it tastes better. Yeah, I was just I just while you're talking, I brought up a Google and I was looking at like, what does wine irrigation look like? You know, like that's something that is really, really interesting, but it does. Wow. I mean, it that takes it's a, a black tube that runs water. across. Yeah, it's a black tube. You can look on the internet. You can yeah. see how much irrigation I mean, there's articles out there. That's where we got to our billion-dollar citation. Uh, not billion-dollar, billion-gallon ga- citation. Is there studies out there that will show you right there on the Google uh, how much water is used in irrigating grapevines? And you just multiply mm-hmm. that times the amount of land that you farm, and that's how you get to your savings, yeah. water savings. 
Well, this has been highly educational and entertaining. Thank you, Todd, for... Um... I know, I know. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, girl. You know, well, it's a lot. But if this is this is my point, is that if this is something that all of us are engaging with, sometimes on a weekly basis, bi-weekly, or, you know, a couple times a week, like, we should know about what we are drinking. If we are going to pick up, you know, a kombucha or a juice or whatever, and we're looking at the contents label and we're making a decision about, you know, this juice or this drink or this tea that we're getting from the, the fridge... The grocery store. Think about how many bottles of wine people, families, parties, what you know, people are going through. They're drinking, and we don't have any clue. Uh, you know, no, most people don't have any clue about all the things that you talked about. I certainly didn't. And even- no, these are these are. I'm, I'm talking about like these big brands that you see. I'm talking about massive brands. Yeah. Um. You know, these big champagne brands, you know, that are like super premium and they're, you know, beautifully marketed and they have beautiful colors and, <laughs> right. you know, orange or, you know, the, 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 these are industrial products. Right. I, I, I promise you, you can't make enough. You can't, th- these wines are, these, these are huge productions made in factories mm-hmm. because they're, they're, they've created a global demand that's through this marketing and all these beautiful things and, and, and they charge more and people, the more you know, there, um, there are a number of studies proving this, that consumers believe the more they pay for wine, the better it is. Mm. The more they spend on champagne, the better it is. The more prestigious brand they buy, the better it tastes. And there've been these blind studies, many of them done. If you give a consumer two bagged bottles, they got a brown paper bag around them. It's like this wine is $15 and this wine is $100. Tell me uh, which one tastes better and why. And they'll always choose the $100 when they're both the same wine. (laughs) Right. I'm telling you. I would. I'm not going to lie. Exactly. So so we generally perceive that the more we pay something, the more we pay for something, the better it is. Right. Well, the good news is for natural wine, and we'll wrap up on this point. The great news is for natural wine. This is not true. Natural wines, all of our wines sell for exactly the same price. Hmm. And so they're $27 a bottle, including shipping. And that's a big deal because shipping's really expensive because wine weighs a lot. It's heavy. Right. And it's breakable. So $27 is a very reasonable price to pay for a bottle of handcrafted organic Natural wine, it's, it's a very reasonable price. And if you look in the wine world, you know, it's there are many, 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 many wines that are much, much, much more expensive. And the reason natural wines are so affordable is because these are not big, fancy companies with big, fancy marketing budgets that can that can develop brands that they then have you perceive that they're very valuable, a perception, yeah. right? Brand values created through perception. As I said, I mean, there. Well, let me say there are three ways that people, basically three ways people buy wine. They either buy it because they like the label. That's number one. It's got, you know, an animal on it or something that mm-hmm. you think is attractive. Number two, uh, it has a rating, right? Yep. Uh, so some, quote, expert, end quote, has given it a rating of 92 points. Uh, that doesn't mean anything, of course. It's arbitrary. Many times it's advertising driven in the first place, and it's not even it's not even doesn't mean anything. And number three, through pedigree or story, yeah. you know, like 
you think of like some very famous champagnes, you know, the ones I have in mind that they have pedigree, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's a fancy story. It's from France. It's like got this beautiful package. It was, you know, somebody created it in 1867 or whatever. Yeah. That's a story, right? And so that's how wine is sold. Well, I have tried the wine, dry farm wines, and I, I no longer choose by the la- the labels look great, but I no longer choose by the label. I now choose, of you know, how the wine is made. And I really do love it. Both my husband and I do, which my husband's always like, oh, wine makes me sleepy. And now we don't have those experiences. So it's nice to be able to enjoy it with dinner every now and then. So if $27 a bottle is, in my opinion, worth it. And you can also, you can actually get a bottle for a penny by going to dryfarmwines.com slash coconuts. There you'll find more about Dry Farm Wines, more about Todd, and just more about what they're doing. So thank you, Todd, for being here. Thank you for dropping all the knowledge bombs on us. And um, I so appreciate your time. Great. Thanks for having me. Have yeah. a beautiful day. And um have some wine tonight. <laughs> I plan on it. For more about Dry Farm Wines, again, that's dryfarmwines.com forward slash coconuts. From more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thanks for being here, guys. We will talk to you next week.